Last week, Bernie Sanders spoke at the Walmart shareholders meeting to demand ending the greed of America's richest family, the Waltons. Hey Bernie, don't you know you're running for the Democratic nomination? Now these ultra-wealthy executives definitely aren't going to donate to your campaign. <laughs> the University of Alabama is removing a donor's name from its law school because he came out in opposition to the state's ban on abortion. Damn, even Penn State waited for Joe Paterno to die before they did him that dirty. <laughs> when traveling abroad last week, it was reported that Trump's handlers asked that the USS John McCain be hidden from sight when the president was there in order to avoid an unhinged Twitter meltdown about the late senator. You know that age-old saying, out of sight, this president is literally out of his mind. By the way, the USS John McCain? Someone should tell them that boats are named after women, and that they should at the very least name it the USS John McCain, but with that Snapchat filter that makes you look like a sexy lady. <laughs> hey Alexa, what is the inverse of only the good die young? Henry Kissinger is 96 years old. <laughs> Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin referred to the left's push for Medicare for All as a fetish. <laughs> to be fair to Rubin, it's an easy mistake to make when you can only come if you're thinking about your fellow Americans dying of curable illnesses. week I said that I don't go to the doctor because I can't fucking afford it. Um, it's not 100% true. I go to the eye doctor. I go to the dentist because those are cheap. Eye doctor is not that cheap actually, but it's more affordable than, um, I don't know, literally any other kind of health coverage. There's that. And also I forgot uh, the last time I went to the doctor doctor was, uh, it was almost two years ago. Um, I've had, I've been on my, I've been on my own uh, company provided health insurance since I was what, 26. Is that when you have to get off your parents? Thank you. Affordable care act. Um, but I've just been paying for it because you know, you're, you're compelled to, otherwise you get penalized by the government, except now. Thanks Trump. <laughs> Uh, but, but I, I've been just, I've just been paying for whatever the cheapest plan is. I don't, I don't really know any of the details and I never had to like utilize it until, uh, this time, uh, it was about two years ago. Now I went and got my hernia checked out. I've got an umbilical hernia, which means that it looks like I have an Audi belly button. Um, because I probably did something wrong when I was doing abs at the gym. Cause I'm a real man. Uh, and it's been, it's been like that for at least five years, probably not good. But anyways, I went to the doctor. I went to like, an, uh, like, a, like a Mercy Health urgent care type thing. And I was there for several hours. I had to wait a really long time, which was a pain in the ass. Um, and then I got back in the, and then I got back in, you know, the, the room and I had to wait even longer there. And a uh, doctor finally comes in and does a quick checkup. I, I probably talked to a doctor for 15 minutes. She recommends that I get surgery, but that it, you know, I should, I should do it within the next couple of years. So she gave me a recommendation and I, I just never followed up on it. I paid my copay. It was like 40 bucks. I was like, wow, health insurance is great. I, I pay the lowest plan and I only paid 40 bucks to see a doctor. That seems reasonable. That seems fair. And then I got a call yesterday 
from a debt collector saying that I owe Mercy Health about $90. And I was confused. <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought insurance covered that. Um, it turns out it didn't. And it turns out they've been sending mail to the Probably my last address, because I probably never updated my address. <laughs> so they probably been sending mail there, and then uh, they never got their money from me. So then they sent it to a debt collector, and uh, it was not an intimidating call. It was very friendly. Uh, hey, you know, you owe about 80. That's probably why they didn't give a shit. They're like, it's 80 bucks. It's not even, they're not going to, this is a huge health, and sh- this is a huge health provider. They're not going to miss 80 bucks, uh, but they still want it. So I kind of have a knowledge of what the hell this stuff means. Um, I still don't, but I was looking into it yesterday and uh, it's it's a total mind fuck because I mean, just, just to see a doctor and have her just say, oh yeah, you should get surgery and uh, send me on my merry way. That, that was what? That was $40 plus that 85 I said 90 because it sounds more impressive uh, it was like 85 bucks so that's 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 over that's 120 ish dollars just to see a doctor to tell me that I should get surgery um, and that's on top of the what 80 80 ish dollars that I'm paying per paycheck toward my goddamn health insurance so uh, that's a fucking racket and I'm also putting money into an HSA so that's even more than I put I don't know what fucking point I'm trying to make, but uh, one, one, it it made it made me uh, even more just like fucking. We need to we need to get rid of this this fucked up system because I put so much money into this healthcare uh, plan that's not even really gonna help me very much if I get sick. Like I should get this surgery, but I'm not going to because my deductible is fifteen hundred dollars, which whatever. Um, and my out-of-pocket maximum is $3,000. So after I spend $1,500, that means my health insurance pays 80% of the bill on top of that $1,500. So I'm still on the hook for 20% after the deductible is hit until I hit $3,000. And then the insurance pays the rest after I've spent $3,000 of my own dollars on top of what I spend with them monthly. So uh, if you think that that is a system that works for anybody but the health insurance provider uh you're fucking lying to yourself um so that that was a total mind fuck but then i was looking at this i'm so i'm on i'm with cigna now and i was looking at their website or their dashboard uh and i should say i have a high deductible plan so i understand that it's cheaper so like the fact that they only pay 80 percent until a certain amount should be i mean we should we shouldn't accept any of that bullshit because we live in the richest country in the history of earth and we're the only ones who don't have health care provided by society by the government. Um, but anyways, so I was looking through, uh, I looked at preventative care because I was like, what are some things that I could do to keep myself healthy moving forward? That's something that I don't always think about. You know, I mean, I got this goddamn hernia thinking that I was doing preventative uh, care on my body going to the gym, but turns out your boy works out too hard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyways, uh, so I'm looking uh, on this, on my Cigna dashboard, preventative care. I said, what is covered under preventative care? Um, you know, uh, eligible preventative care services include annual wellness exams, most routine immunizations, and certain health screenings. Under most plans, uh, eligible preventative care services are covered at 100% when you use an in-network provider. So if I do a preventative uh, thing, I the Cigna will cover it, which is cool. And then I read this part. When do I have to pay for preventative care? I thought never, but... Okay, let's let's keep reading. If your provider finds a health problem during a wellness exam, you may have to pay. So if I do a wellness exam and it turns out that I'm not well, then insurance isn't going to cover it. That seems like the way your health insurance should work. To insure your health, uh, they're going to charge you if the doctor finds that you're not healthy. Uh, why is that? Why, why might you have to pay for it if the provider finds a health problem during the exam? Well, because once a problem is found, 
Your, your exam is no longer considered preventative. It becomes diagnostic or non-routine. When diagnostic care is needed, your out-of-pocket costs depend on your coverage and tests or services needed. So if you go to the doctor to find out if you're sick, if you're not sick, free. If you are sick, if they find something wrong with you, you got to pay for that shit. So why the fuck am I paying you, Cigna? What a load of bullshit. That, that makes me so fucking mad. So we need Medicare for all now because I realize how much it's affecting me personally. <laughs> no, but it is, uh, you know, I've been, I've been paying for health insurance for, you know, f- about four years now. And uh, I, I was never, I never fully understood how fucked it is. Now I could spend something like $400 a month and pay a copay and I don't have to worry about any of that uh, deductible bullshit basically. Um, but I'm not going to do that because that's a lot of money. That's a big percentage of my paycheck. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And if I had to pay that much in taxes to pay Medicare for all, I don't. I don't know how that's different. I don't know what my. I, you know. Maybe I'm a hypocrite here. I don't fucking know. But that also guarantees that I can go to the doctor and I don't have to pay. I don't have to pay a fucking copay. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know the point I'm trying to make. Uh, other than I'm not going to pay for a full-on health insurance plan because we got Medicare for all coming because I'm an ignorant piece of shit. <laughs> who uh think who who thinks that that's going to happen. And then the next day, today, I come across this headline from Hartford Current, Hartford as in Hartford, Connecticut. Threat by Cigna CEO to leave Connecticut kills public option health legislation, though insurer denies anything like that. So, my health insurance provider is making headlines right after I'm realizing how much they're fucking me. And they're not fucking me more than Blue Cross Blue Shield was. They're all fucking us. But this it just so happened, the headline I found was my provider. So here we go. Legislation to establish government subsidized health care in Connecticut is dead following a threat by the chief executive officer of Cigna Corporation that the Bloomfield insurer would leave Connecticut if lawmakers and Governor Ned Lamont enact the measure, Comptroller Kevin Lembo said on Wednesday. So uh, the, corp- the, the corporate capture of our government on full display in Connecticut, they were going to get a public option in Connecticut. They were going to pass legislation to give the residents of Connecticut a public option, which is not Medicare for all, but it's a step in the right direction. I'd be happy if Ohio passed that kind of legislation. I would still push for Medicare for all. But if a state, if one state passed uh, a public option, I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Again, I'm not going to stand behind a presidential candidate who says they want a public option because we saw what happened last time. But if on the state level, someone's pushing a public option and they can do it, you know, all the, all the more power to them. But okay, so a spokesman for Cigna said that the insurer lobbied hard against the bill, but denied that any threat was made. And two top legislators negotiating details of the so-called Connecticut option legislation would not confirm or deny that chief uh, that CEO David Cordani threatened to take Cigna out of Connecticut. But they said strong opposition from the industry, particularly Cigna, may force lawmakers to strip out from the legislation the public option portion, a major part of the legislation establishing a state program offering insurance. Limbo told The Current that Cordani threatened to send a public letter to Lamont that if the public option bill moves forward, quote, they would reconsider where they domiciled. So Cigna said, if you pass a public option in Connecticut, our nationwide organization is going to leave Connecticut. And so legislators, instead of saying, all right, well, fuck you, we don't need you. We're going to create jobs with our public option health insurance in Connecticut. They said, oh, no, 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 don't leave. Don't leave. We won't, we won't, we won't help our people. Fuck the people. We need you here. We need you to stay. So the people who were elected, the people who were hired to represent the people of Connecticut and get them a public option or Medicare for all or whatever, said, you know what? They don't actually need it. What they need is Cigna to stay in Connecticut. That's more important. 
Jesus Christ. All right, continuing on. Cordani made the threat as legislators and other insurance carriers were negotiating, were negotiating the legislation Tuesday night, Lembo said. Brian Henry, a spokesperson for Cigna, said the insurer made no such threat. They're repeating themselves a lot here. Okay, whatever. We never said anything like that, he said. We said it was not good for the state, the citizens, or the industry. It's good for the state and it's good for the citizens, okay? Make no mistake about that. If Cigna leaves, that's going to eliminate some jobs. But you know what? That's that's fucking terror. That's corporate terrorism is what that is. They say, you're going to give your people a public option? Well, we're going to get the fuck out of here. In an email statement, Lamont said he remains committed to the Connecticut option, but understands that for, quote, legislation of this magnitude to be successful, the proposal must leverage the best thinking from all stakeholders, including the carriers. Fuck that. The best thinking from all stakeholders. No, they don't want a public option because it's a direct competitor to them and they know it'll put them out of business. No one's going to pay for Cigna when they know they have a public option through the government because that's guaranteed. They're not going to get denied care because some random dipshit in a corporate environment decided that you don't need life-saving surgery or you don't need, you know, the pills that you need to, you know, keep keep your heart from clogging up or fucking whatever you do. Quote, Cigna is a vital piece of Connecticut's fabric, and I am committed to working collaboratively and constructively with carriers, stakeholders, and advocates, and I encourage other elected officials to respectfully do the same. This is that neoliberal bullshit. I don't know who, who I assume this guy is a Democrat because he's even considering a public option. I can't imagine a Republican. Did I say Republican? I assume he's a Democrat because he's considering a public option because um, a Republican won't even touch that unless you're Mitt Romney, I guess. Do they have a public option? No, 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 they don't. It's Romney Care. It's the same as the Affordable Care Act. This is them acting like, you know, we're coming together. We're uh, we're uniting the sides. We're bringing everyone to the table and everyone's bringing their ideas. It's like, no, the health insurance industry is a predator and the people of Connecticut are its prey. And Cigna says, if you give them a public option, we're out. And they're denying it. Of course they're denying it. But but again, this is that neoliberal bullshit where they're acting like they're fighting for you, but they're going to roll over like fucking lapdogs. They're not going to give them a public option. Oh, I'm still committed to a public option. No, you're not. The fact that you're taking this threat as if it's not a threat, but it's a, a bargaining ship, bullshit. Senator Matthew Lesser, co-chairman of the legislature's insurance and real estate committee, said he was a, quote, little surprised surprised by Lembo's comments about Cigna. Quote, it was a little premature, said Lesser, Democrat of Middletown. I think it's fair to say Cigna is more opposed to the bill than some of the other carriers. Representative Sean Scanlon, House Chairman of the committee, was asked to confirm Lembo's statement that Cigna threatened to leave Connecticut. He said the insurer, quote, expressed significant displeasure with the bill. Of course they did. Lesser and Cigna was, quote, more opposed to the bill than some of the other carriers. The public option part of the bill is, is, quote, the elephant in the room, Scanlon said. That was a big flashpoint. He said lawmakers have, quote, found consensus with all the different stakeholders. However, Lesser said lawmakers will, quote, pause on some elements, some big elements. Let those conversations continue, and then we're going to move forward when we can, he said. Lembo said a representative of Cigna spoke with the governor's office Wednesday and said, quote, well, you know, if you change this and you change that, you change this and you change that, maybe if we have time to analyze that, we might be able to not oppose it as strongly. Knowing full well that we're out of time, Lembo said. The health insurance legislation would have to begin its trek through the General Assembly Wednesday or Thursday at the latest, if it is to be approved by the House and Senate before adjournment June 5th. Lembo said Cigna, quote, questioned everything from the design of the reinsurance pool to the 20% savings target to how I would go out and contract for the master policy. 
It was essentially every element of the public option piece of the bill at the last minute. Lamont and Democratic leaders of the General Assembly unveiled legislation Thursday proposing state-subsidized health insurance. It would offer coverage that meets or exceeds health plan offerings and, quote, within available appropriations, provide state-financed subsidies for those who do not qualify for federal health care subsidies. The legislation proposes to tax opioids, establish an individual mandate with a penalty for not participating, authorize the comptroller to establish rates for a new provider network to support a health care program, and would impose surcharges on individual and group health insurance policies. I gotta read this whole thing. I mean, I don't fucking really care that much because it's not gonna get passed. Cigna Cigna has all but made it so that this is not going to happen. And the Democrats are rolling the fuck over. All right, we're almost at the end. Um, healthcare executives have publicly opposed the measure. Last week, six executives, including Wendy Sherry, Cigna Market President for Connecticut, wrote to Lamont urging him to kill the legislation. They said the legislation had too few details to merit the industry's support. No, I think it has too many details to warrant the industry's support. That detail being that there's going to be a direct competitor. This should tell you how ef- how effective uh, either a single payer or a Medicare for all system would work. Look at how threatened they are. Look at how irrelevant they know they will become. Th- the fact that Cigna's freaking out about this should tell you everything you need to know about whether you should support a single payer health insurance system. The health insurance industry, which is a useless fucking industry, which is middlemen, designed to make a few people very, very wealthy on the backs of sick people, they're terrified of the idea that the government could provide health care because they know they will do it better and they won't deny people care. Lembo accused Cordani of acting more from political impulse than to protect his business. Quote, this is not an existential threat to them, he said. It's an ideological threat to the CEO of Cigna. Cigna, which had a market value of $56.1 billion at the end of the first quarter, March 31st, posted revenue of $48 billion last year. Those are the numbers you need to look at. $56.1 billion at the end of the first quarter. That's how much Cigna is worth on the market. And that profit is on the backs of people who can't afford to go to the goddamn doctor. A bit more on our evil healthcare system. Uh, I, I came across this on Twitter this morning. This is from a woman named Anna. Her, uh, her tag is at Anna Lander. So I assume that's her full name. Yep, that's her website too. So, uh, disabled activist, writer, speaker, DC commissioner, ANC2E, Georgetown class of 2021. And uh, this is a woman, she's a disabled woman. She's in a wheelchair. So here's a th- here's a thread. Buckle up because it's fucking depressing and it's even more fucking infuriating. Here's Anna. As a disabled woman and wheelchair user, I've been fending off my insurance company's cuts for years. Today, they finally got a judge to side with them and now I can't go back to college next semester. The American healthcare system has just, quite literally, ruined my future. What does it say about our country when a for-profit insurance company can tell me, my doctors, and several independent medical experts that we're all wrong about my care needs, thereby preventing me from ever living independently? Hashtag crip the vote. They've nearly cut my care hours in half. This will prevent me from having an aide to help me get dressed, shower, go to the bathroom, etc. At this point, my family and I are talking about what will happen if my mom has to quit her job to stay home and take care of me. Our Medicaid system is supposed to keep disabled people and their families out of poverty, living life with some semblance of normalcy. But when this responsibility is put in the hands of private insurance companies, of course, they abuse their power. I can't tell you how many of my disabled friends have suffered through the same awful situation. I can't tell you the panic I feel knowing that I might not have the help I need tomorrow or the next day, and that my needs might become a burden to my family. In today's healthcare system, for-profit insurance companies can abuse their power 
to prevent promising disabled people from living their lives and pursuing their passions without any consequences at all. How much do we have to suffer before something changes? For those looking to help, I'm trying to get my story and the thousands of others like mine into the media. If you happen to know reporters willing to cover this, message me. For those of you looking to help, I'm trying to get my story and the thousands of others like mine into the media. If you happen to know reporters willing to cover this, message me. For local outlets, I can, I can connect you with someone in your state. For national, I can get a diverse group of us. A lot of people have asked about a GoFundMe. I've decided not to create one because one, it might sustain me for a few years, but it'll do nothing for the thousands of other disabled people in this situation. How fucking selfless is that? I want to pressure my state government and insurance company into real reform. And two, accepting any money can make me lose even more of my services before I actually have the ability to pay for them. Under current Medicaid regulations, disabled people are kept in a poverty trap. And then she links to a story uh, from a few months ago, and this really gets into more shit. But yeah, so her private health insurance industry has been like, going to court so that they don't have to cover her needs. That's what private health insurance is designed to do, to make more money for the top and cut services from anybody that they can. And a woman in a wheelchair, pretty easy to take shit away from, it turns out, <clears throat> if you're an evil piece of shit. So here's a story from App. I don't know what this is, but I read it already, so I'm going to read it out loud. New Jersey forces disabled Howell student to make brutal choice, internship or health aid money. Like any college student, Anna Landry, Lander, I don't know, L-A-N-D-R-E, was thrilled to land a quality summer internship. Unlike her peers, though, she faces a brutal decision. Taking the job means losing some crucial health benefits. The 19-year-old has spinal muscular atrophy type 2, a progressive weakening of the muscles. She uses a motorized wheelchair and needs a personal care aid at her Georgetown University dorm. The New Jersey Division of Disability Services would penalize Lander for holding the internship, one that pays $14 an hour, which is fucking nothing, especially in D.C., by significantly reducing the aid's hours. Quote, I was shocked when I heard this, said State Senator Vin Gopal, Democrat of Monmouth, who is working on a solution. It really limits folks who are able to work, who want to work, and can make grit make a great impact on our community. Lander has much to offer. Last year, she graduated Freehold Township High School as valedictorian. She's used to navigating barriers created by able-bodied folks who make the rules for society's disabled. Quote, a lot of times, it's a matter of people telling you no 50 times until you call 100 times, she said. There are always exceptions that can be made, but you have to push hard. I think the state relies on the fact that eventually, you're going to have to give up. That's not happening here. There's much at stake for Lander and others who might follow in her footsteps. So before I go on, New Jersey, Cory Booker State, Big Pharma Booker, is saying if you want to keep getting Medicaid benefits, you need to make no money. Because I don't, I, I said this already, but $14 is uh, not a living wage a lot of places, and it sure as fuck is not a living wage in Washington, D.C. One of the most expensive state states, I guess it's kind of a state, it's a it's country, what is it? A city? What's the word I'm looking for? How dare I have a podcast where I talk down to people? I can't even fucking tell you what a city is. Her drive is remarkable. Elizabeth Higley, Freehold Township's principal since 2004, said she's rarely encountered students with Lander's ability. Quote, she's probably one of the most intelligent and gifted students to graduate from the high school, Higley said. Her drive is remarkable. Her positive attitude, her sense of humor, she never lets her physical limitations impede her. Lander, Lander led the school's debate team, was a regular attendee at Friday night football games, and developed an eye for things that could make disabled youths' lives easier. Washington, D.C. is the place for difference makers, which is why Lander attends Georgetown, but living there requires 16 hours of daily assistance from an aide who stays with her overnight and helps her get in and out of bed 
get dressed, do chores, run errands, and use the bathroom. That's covered under her current Medicaid plan. According to New Jersey Division of Disability Services rules, however, she loses that coverage if she earns income at a rate above the federal poverty line. What a low barrier to set. The state offers a program to account for these situations called workability, but workability only covers the aid for 40 hours per week, roughly six hours per day. And as we just said, she needs someone 16 hours a day. Lander would have to fund the rest of the hours out of pocket, which just isn't possible for a college student making $14 per hour or anybody making $14 per hour. Anybody. That is fucking ridiculous. Medicare for all. In short, she's being forced to choose between the internship and the aid. She has to choose between whether she can be self-sufficient in terms of being able to make money or whether she's able to get through her day. In short, she's being forced to choose between the internship and the aid. Quote, because the assumption is if you're able to work, then you're not disabled enough to need those services, Lander said. What ends up happening is this is a disincentive to work. She's being disincentivized. She's being told, don't work because fuck you, you're in a wheelchair. It gets worse after college. Let's say Lander earns a job in D.C. paying $50,000 per year after graduation, not making bank, but clearly above the poverty line. Based on workability rules, the aid would cost her $52,000 out of pocket, putting her in an immediate hole. What a backward ass system that is. If she makes $50,000, she has got to pay $52,000. And $50,000 is a good paying job out of college. But again, probably not that much if you live in D.C. In seeking a solution, Anna and her mother, Laura Lander, say they've been ping-ponged between various state agencies as the May 28 start date for the internship approaches. I wonder if she started that fucking internship. It started yesterday, two days ago. Quote, while the department does not discuss specific cases, it always works hard to ensure residents understand their options to get the services they need, meet the concerns of families, and achieve a positive outcome. Quote, my daughter wants to work and contribute to society, Laura Lander said. She doesn't want to sit home without a job and ride the system. And that, and that's a great example of a fucking like right-wing talking point where, oh, they're just, you know, these welfare queens, they just want to sit on their ass. People don't want to do that, dude. People, people want to be productive members of society, however that calling takes them. Desperate for help, Anna turned to her local representatives in the state legislature. They've taken up the cause. Quote, it's an outdated Medicaid provision that we have, said Assemblywoman Joanne Downey. It makes absolutely no sense in this day and age with computers and all we can do in different kinds of workspaces. That's a fine point, and it sheds light on the larger issue here. Advances in technology have created more opportunities for those with disabilities to work. There are going to be more Anna Landers. Quote, you have people who are physically disabled but have amazing minds like Anna, and you don't want to waste that potential, Downey said. It feels a little condescending, but whatever. Uh, Beyond the obvious humanitarian aspect, there's a long-term financial incentive to change the rules. Give someone like Lander a chance to pursue a career, and she could earn a living to the point where she can afford care on her own. Or we can implement a healthcare for all system. Investing some extra money to expand workability's coverage now could help those motivated folks off the rolls later. Workability should be a means for somebody to have a career and maybe one day not need the state, Anna Lander said. But I can't even get to that point. Can a 19-year-old move a government bureaucracy? Worth noting, despite her daily challenges, Lander posted a 3.9 GPA as a Georgetown freshman. Impressive. So, I mean, it's easy for me to sit in this position of privilege where I have a healthcare plan, where I'm able-bodied, where my shit is easy as fuck, and say, I, w- I don't want to pay for, I don't want to pay for my healthcare plan. Well, it's not just about that, man. Like, th- this is this is a perfect, se- there's, there's a thousand situations like this. 
I've got a, <clears throat> I've got some friends, I've got some acquaintances who are in wheelchairs themselves and in various levels of uh, physical disability, and they face these exact same challenges. Um, will I get one of them on on here to, to talk about it? I hope so. Um, I don't know if I'm chiming in enough to, to make this a worthwhile segment other than just reading an article so you can listen to it while you drive, 38 people. I've also got a buildup in my chest. I can't fucking stop coughing. But whatever, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to close this one out. It's, it's depressing, man. It's depressing. This, this woman is being disincentivized from working. Republicans say you can't give out handouts because people want to sit in their ass and just take government money, and in a, which is a bullshit argument to begin with. But to look at this specific situation where the system is literally set up in a way that is telling her you can't work because fourteen dollars an hour is too much for one of you people to be making, and we can't continue to subsidize your health you know, your, your, your health coverage, because you're, you know, you're rolling in it 14 bucks an hour, your money bags over here rolling in. It probably wasn't the phrase I should have used. The California Democratic Party had its state convention last weekend. They had all 900 of the Democratic presidential hopefuls give like a three minute stump. Actually, I think they were like seven minutes, but, um, I'm not really sure what the point of this state convention is. I guess a state of the convention, <laughs> a state of the party. I don't I don't know. But um, a few clips went viral, so I'm going to talk about a couple of them. Let's start with Mr. John Hickenlooper, which if you listened to the last episode, he's the one that he's the former Colorado governor, former mayor of Denver. So you'd think probably pretty progressive, you know, the state that legalized marijuana first, uh, but you would be wrong. He is, uh, he has opposed that at every turn. Uh, but anyways, here's John Hickenlooper at the California Democratic State Party Convention. Sure doesn't sound like you want to give Americans a reason to look forward to tomorrow. You sound like a fucking scold, like a teacher who's trying to get control of her unruly class classroom. So I understand that this is California and this is a this is, you know, a pro, clearly a more progressive crowd because uh, they booed what he said about socialism. But I mean, these these are the kind of people who are going to get out the vote, who's going to help elect the next president. Um, so this is who you need to be talking to, especially in the primaries. So the idea that uh, a moderate voice is what uh, the majority of voters is looking for. I think I think that's bullshit. One. Well, OK, I don't think it's bullshit because I don't think think that John Hickenlooper is a moderate. I think he's right wing. I, I, I say this over and over again. John Hickenlooper uh, fancies himself a moderate. He's a right winger. He is a Republican with a dem with a D next to his name. Um, but he just he's he's echoing these same things. And when they start booing, he's like, you know, if we're not careful, we're going to reelect the worst president in history. Because, you know, the reason that Trump won in 2016 is because Hillary Clinton was a radical left winger. <laughs> 
That's why she couldn't get people out to vote for her, despite winning by 3 million votes. Let's let's keep that in mind. But the, re- the reason that there was a lack of enthusiasm behind Hillary Clinton is because she was too radical left. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Um, I want to play it one more time just because I feel like I had a thought on it and I forgot it. Socialism is not the answer. I'm wondering if he planned a response to that kind of reaction because he's kind he's he's smirking and he doesn't really have a response to it his only response is what i just mentioned which was you know if we're not careful that's what and that and that's really what's going to energize people to get out and vote for you is you better you you know you better moderate your tone otherwise trump's gonna win he's like is that a threat motherfucker because i will uh, i'll take you up on that fucking threat Um, also, you know, I think I'd like to push back a little bit on that statement that he's the worst president in American history. Uh, not, not, not to defend Trump, of course, but because, um, you know, I would argue he's, he's definitely not worse than George W. Bush. He's definitely got the worst optics of any president in American history. He has ripped the mask off of not only the Republican Party, but but the role of president altogether. You know, he he can't get away with the kind of shit that a Barack Obama could get away with in terms of foreign policy. Because uh, even at this point, Barack Obama started more wars than Trump has. So um, I, I that that can be tied to a lot of reasons, but a, a big one being the fact that once he starts beating those drums of war, there are people who are saying, no, fuck that. And there, there there was some of that with Obama, but there was less. I was definitely the, the the person that wasn't pushing back against it. You know, I was definitely critical of Obama for not closing down Guantanamo Bay and for all the drone strikes that he did. But even even until recently, I was not aware of what uh, a devastating impact Barack Obama's administration had across the globe, you know? He dropped so many bombs in Syria that we ran out of fucking bombs. And he gets to have a Netflix special. <laughs> He's like an executive producer at Netflix now, uh, so that taints Netflix for me. It taints him for me. You know, I was I was a huge Obama supporter. I fucking loved him, and I was I know I was I was critical of him where I thought it was fair. I I'm I'm getting off track here, but. Uh, just the idea that he's the worst president in American history. I know, I know that's, you know, that's, that's, that's politics. They're just, you know, he's got bad optics. So we got to call him the worst president in history. I would argue not true. He absolutely has the worst optics. He's absolutely the most blatantly and openly racist, homophobic, bigoted president in modern history. Um, but you know what? Uh, Bill Clinton passed NAFTA. Bill Clinton passed the crime bill. Those have had devastating effects on communities of color, on the working class. That's pretty fucking bad. But no one ever refers to him as one of the worst presidents. Again, not defending Trump, but I, I do want to push back against the idea that he's the worst in history because there are he's he's on his way. He hasn't earned that right yet. I think to be the worst president in history, he's got a he's got to achieve some more shit because he's not achieved a lot, which is fortunate. His his inability to get shit done is uh is the best thing for this country. Like if we had Mike Pence in there, it would be devastating because that motherfucker knows knows how to fuck people's lives up. Trump's kind of a bumbling fucking idiot. And he's fucked some, you know, this the shit at the border gets more and more depressing by the day. And I I you know, I I certainly believe 
that that is a huge argument for why we got to support whoever is up against Trump. And I don't want to get into that. I've gotten into it before, and I'm not I'm not going to vocally support anybody that's not Bernie Sanders, Tulsi Gabbard, a little bit of Elizabeth Warren, Mike Gravel, anybody else. I'm not I'm not coming out in support of them. But if you were to make the argument in a way that I'm that I'm going to be more receptive to we got to get Trump out of office is the way that immigrants are being handled at the southern border because it's horrific, arguably the most horrific shit we've done since the internment camps during World War II, um, at least domestically. You know, we're obviously committing genocide abroad, but that's just part of being the empire. And I also understand that Barack Obama deported over 2 million people, and he was also putting people, children in cages, um, but not to this extent. And not to, not to keep getting off this track, but that is an, um, that, that, that's kind of an argument that uh, some people have, have made on my fucking Facebook wall about posts. It's an, it's an argument that people make when they have no argument, and that argument is, well, why weren't you outraged XYZ years ago? You're outraged now. Why weren't you outraged before? It's like, well, motherfucker, I didn't know before. And if I had known, I would be outraged. So why don't you get a real fucking argument? Well, why is, why is Trump a war criminal and Obama's not? Obama is a war criminal. But you know what? Before we worry about Obama, before we even worry about Trump, how about we worry about John Bolton, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, Elliot Abrams? You know, let's start from the beginning. Let's get the motherfuckers who started it, and then we can work our way towards Trump. So anyways, I got way off track. We're talking about John Hickenlooper. We're talking about the California Democratic State Convention. So that was John Hickenlooper. Let's uh let's hear let's hear another John at the California Democratic Convention. So this is John Delaney, not to be mistaken for John Mullaney. This is someone who I'm not even I was not even familiar with until this clip blew up last weekend, Sunday or Monday, and apparently he's like the, the number 3 Democrat in the house, which not surprising, you know. Just behind him was Joe Crowley, former holder of the seat that uh Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez now holds uh and current lobbyist with john boehner um but that's not john delaney john delaney uh yeah i don't know anything about him besides this clip and some of the fallout from it so here's john delaney at that same convention but we as democrats to build an economy that works but it's got to be with smart policies medicare for all may sound good but it's actually not good policy nor is it good politics i'm telling you I tell you, I tell you, am I right? Medicare for all, it's not, it's not good policy. Am I right? Am I right, people? Am I right? We Basking in it. We should have universal health care. Nice try, dude. We're hip to that game. Affordable health care, universal health care. These are all euphemisms that neoliberals use so that they don't have to say Medicare for all, so that they can implement some uh, corporate for-profit system and, and then tell you that it's fine, much like the Affordable Care Act. Affordable care, universal care, not the same as single-payer health care or Medicare for all. We should have universal health care. Yeah, he, he, he keeps hammering it in. They're not buying it, motherfucker. They heard what you said. So just get off stage. We should have universal health care. We should have universal health care. But it shouldn't be a kind of health care that kicks 150 
smart policy. And you're not a smart politician because you're using right wing talking points to address a room of clearly progressives who support Medicare for all. Um, this is your base. So don't come at don't come at us with your right wing bullshit talking points. Oh, it's going to kick 150,000 Americans off of their health insurance plan. Good. It's going to replace it with a better health care plan that guarantees them coverage no matter what their illness is. Oh yeah. Okay. So that was the end. That was the end of the clip. And uh, you know, this this blew up uh, mainly because uh, a certain congresswoman that I just mentioned, AOC, uh, retweeted it. And here's what she said: Since there's so many people running for president and not enough for Senate, instead of obsessing over who's a front runner, maybe we can start with some general eliminations. This awful, untrue line got booed for a full minute. John Delaney, thank you, but please sashay away. Um, did he respond? Oh, he did respond to her. So he didn't. Uh, he didn't quote under that. He retweeted her. He says, "Hey, AOC, we have the same goal: universal health care for everyone." Again, euphemism for employ, uh, for-profit health insurance to pull the blinders over your eyes. We just have different ways of getting there. Healthcare is the number one issue for voters, so let's debate the way forward. Any show of your choosing. Healthcare is too important for tweets. We need real discussion. Debate me. He's pulling a Ben Shapiro. Fuck off, John Delaney. At minimum, we have to be tolerant of different views on achieving the same goal, universal healthcare. That's why I responded to AOC tweet with a debate offer. This isn't about slogans. People's lives are at stake. We need debates and the truth. The truth is that you're using right-wing talking points to argue your case. So uh, until you stop doing that, no one really gives a shit what you have to say. And also you're polling at 0% and you're up against Bernie goddamn Sanders. Get the fuck out of the way. You're wasting everybody's time. Anybody that's donated to you is wasting their money. You're a fraud. You're a right-winger. Run for the Republican Party. That's clearly what you want. So actually, I want to read a few more of his tweets in response because he obviously got... Uh, he gets ratioed on every one of them. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, that means he got no likes, no retweets, a lot of replies, a lot of people dunking on him. All right, this is John John Delaney. I have a plan for universal health care where everyone gets health care as a right, but it also allows for private insurance. 150 million Americans have private insurance and 70% of them like it. If we run on making their plan illegal, which Medicare for All does, we will lose. Uh, our goal should be everyone getting health care as a right. That goal is achievable. If we make the goal the elimination of private insurance because some people don't like it, then we give 150 million Americans a reason not to vote for us. We lose every election, and Republicans gut the ACA. Well, fuck the ACA. We want Medicare for all. I don't I don't give a shit about these people who have been duped by the—I I give a shit about them. I don't give a shit about their, their reasoning because they've been propagandized. Private health insurance is designed to make— a small handful of people wealthy, not make people well. I cut. I went over my healthcare plan, and I know it's a high deductible plan, and that's not the same as all plans. But they're allowed to deny you coverage based on whatever they fucking want to. And people are dying because private health insurance has a vice grip. So when you talk about people who who don't want to lose their private insurance, I I question your dedication to actually helping people because a lot of those people have have uh, have have bought have bought in to the propaganda uh, on whatever news media that they listen to that's funded by private health insurance. That's the thing. That's the thing about this election, that's the thing about healthcare, that's the thing about um you know, free college for all. If we keep listening to these same people uh, who have been propagandizing us for for decades, we're never gonna 
see real change. We need to think outside of this outdated bullshit. You have to be able to see beyond the short term. John Delaney here is saying, well, we're going to lose to the Republicans if we demand Medicare for all because people like their health insurance plans. Well, let's make a gamble. Let's let's take a gamble, John Delaney. Let's insist on a system that guarantees coverage. I'm not I'm not talking about guaranteeing insurance. I'm I'm talking about guaranteeing coverage in a way that every single country, countries that are poorer than we are, that they guarantee to every single one of their citizens with a Medicare for all system or a, uh, what do they have? Like in the UK, they've got, I mean, the whole, the whole, the whole system is covered by the government. I don't don't know if that's the best way to do it. I think, I think uh, the government paying for everybody's coverage via tax revenue is probably better than like a whole state a state-run system. I think that's going to be more efficient, and in my in my humble opinion, <laughs> uh, like I fucking know anything. But the point the point I'm making is like you're you're already kowtowing to to the to a mentality that you should be pushing back against. Why do we want to vote for you if you're just kind of telling us what we think we want to hear? It's like, well, I pay for my insurance now, and it, they haven't fucked me over yet. So like, I like my health insurance system, and and I and I and I don't want it to. I don't want to get rid of it. It's like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but here's what's going to happen: you're going to pay less per month, or maybe similar, a similar amount per month, maybe, but likely less. The country as a whole is going to overall pay less for health insurance, and it's going to be a higher quality. They're not going to have all of these stipulations where if you if if the doctor finds that you're sick, we're actually not going to cover your thing, and you're going to be on the hook for that. None of that. No copays. No bullshit hoops to jump through with your with your healthcare provider. No networks where you can go to this doctor, but you can't go to this doctor. You just go to whatever doctor you like to go to. So that's that's the way people like John Delaney. They don't want to frame it that way because they are actors for right-wing forces, and they happen to have a D next to their name. So let me read a little bit more from John Delaney here. The policies we choose will impact hundreds of millions of people. We've got, a, we've got to be able to have a robust policy debate out in the open. That's what this primary process should be about. A few boos aren't a big deal. Making a really bad mistake on healthcare is. A, a few boos, that was an entire room of your base booing you. So that's not just a few outlying boos. They literally derailed your speech because they said no fuck that that is that's not where the way this party's going if you want if you want to debate that idea go over to the fucking republican party or start your own dipshit quote unquote moderate party intolerance to alternative points of view is not what the democratic party should be about don't we get enough of that from trump um trump is the president we are the people whose votes you're coming after. So if you want our votes, maybe try to appeal to us. My plan provides healthcare coverage to every Amer- American as a right, and it preserves private health insurance for those who want it. Others favor Medicare for all, which makes private insurance illegal. Most Republicans favor doing nothing and eliminating the Affordable Care Act. What's your choice? My choice is Medicare for all. What, what's your point? There's no... Ch- <laughs> this guy is such a fucking idiot dipshit. Just so we're all on the same page, only 10% of Americans want to eliminate private insurance. The most popular option is my approach. Give every American health care as a right, but allows private insurance options. Okay, so he links to the Hill. Let's see what this poll is he's talking about. He says only he says only 10% support eliminating private insurance. I want to know how that question was phrased, one. And two, I, I tend to hesitate to accept poll numbers when they are against what I believe. <laughs> 
frankly, I don't, I don't care. That's not what I'm concerned with. What I'm concerned with is the fact that private health insurance is not designed to cover people. Um, and it doesn't really go beyond that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in these opinion polls. Um, maybe that's why I shouldn't be a politician or maybe it's why I should fucking be one because someone like Bernie Sanders is, uh, you know, he's, he, he wants to revolutionize the system that we live under. He's not satisfied with the status quo because he knows what the status quo has earned us which is not a lot. Last thing about John Delaney, mostly because I retweeted this one. Here he is. He says, another point. If you are booing Democrats, do you really expect the country to trust what you have to say? If you can't listen respectfully to people in your own party, let's raise the discourse and not fall down to the level of the president. Again, you're comparing your voters to the Republican president. Booing you for having a stupid policy position that's not in line with with the audience you're speaking to that's not this that's not the same as as the bullshit that the president pulls on twitter one and two uh you know oh wait here's what i said it's not our job to be respectful to you dear leader it's your job to represent the will of the people you are a multi-millionaire and a shill for the private insurance industry you've actively made our lives worse consider yourself lucky you got booze and not milkshakes. Boom, zero likes. But you know what? I think you like it, dear listener. Um, cannot believe I forgot to mention this earlier. Maybe I'll edit it in earlier so that the rest of it makes more sense. This is the top tweet under uh, the Hills video, which is the audio I just played from. This guy's Thomas Hamilton. Thomas Hamilton. Fun fact, John Delaney is a former healthcare financier and received about 30 grand from the healthcare and pharmaceutical lobby for his campaigns. I'm sure his criticism of Medicare for All is just a coincidence. He's a shill for the private insurance industry, and he's going to try and uh, use propaganda and make you think it's rational to keep private health insurance around. John Delaney is a propagandist, and he's somehow representing people because uh, no progressive has run against him. So I'm hoping someone in his district uh, saw that video, saw the responses he got, and uh, is ready to take his ass on in 2020 because all these motherfuckers like this need to get out. We got to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. We got to get rid of Chuck Schumer. We got to get rid of these all these other people who are standing in the way of progress. Because as long as they're considered the lefties in Congress, we're going to keep getting fucked. And hey, speaking of propaganda, let's end this bloated segment with some Bernie propaganda from the CA Dems convention. Here we go. As <laughs> As you all know, as you all know, there is a debate among presidential candidates who have spoken to you here in this room and those who have chosen for whatever reason not to be in this room. Uh, I do just want to say right off the bat that Bernie's also having a hard time speaking because of the crowd, and it's because they're chanting his name. Uh, Also, that was a dig at Joe Biden. If you're not aware, Joe Biden decided uh, that he would not be attending the California Dem convention. I guess he was too busy spending time with some of his corporate donors and raising money for a campaign designed to uh, to to look a lot like the 2016 uh, Clinton campaign, I guess. I don't know. But he decided he didn't want to come talk to the base because his time was better spent with donors, which is a, a lot of what happened in 2016. And look where that got us. About the best way forward. So let me be as clear as I can be. In my view, we will not defeat Donald Trump 
unless we bring excitement and energy into the campaign. And unless we give millions of working people and young people a reason to vote. Oh, but you can you can definitely get people to vote uh, by telling them that they can keep their shitty private health care. Don't you know that, Bernie? And a reason to believe that politics is relevant to their lives. We cannot go back to the old ways. We have got to go forward with a new and progressive agenda. Well, he just stated in about 10 words what took me about 45 minutes just before. (laughs) Anyways. We have got to stand up and make it clear that we believe in a government and an economy and an energy system that represents all of us, not just the 1%. We have got to make it clear that when the future of the planet is at stake, there is no middle ground. We will take on the fossil fuel industry and transform our energy system. We have got to make it clear that when this country drifts toward oligarchy, there is no middle ground. Large, profitable corporations like Amazon will pay their fair share of taxes. When it comes to health care, there is no middle ground. Health care is a human right, not a privilege. And we will guarantee health care to all of our people through a Medicare for all single payer system. When it comes to abortion, there is no middle ground. A woman has the right to control her own life, not the government. When it comes to prescription drugs, no middle ground. We're going to take on the pharmaceutical industry, cut prescription drug prices in half. And when it comes to mass shootings and the fact that 40,000 people were killed last year with guns, no middle ground, we will take on the NRA. And when it comes to criminal justice reform and immigration reform, no middle ground, we will take on the prison industrial complex. We will take on racism at the border. And when it comes to foreign policy, no middle ground, we will finally put an end to a bloated middle military budget and end endless wars. 
Brothers and sisters, Trump wants to divide us up. We will stand together. Black and white and Latino, Native American, Asian American. We will stand together and create the nation that we know we will become. Brothers and sisters, at this momentous moment in American history, we have got to be thinking not just about ourselves, but future generations. Let us go forward together. Thank you. Uh, so that music started playing because he ran the light, went over his time, classic open micer move. Jesus fucking Christ, Bernie. Medicare for all doesn't mean you get to do all the time you want. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't have anything to add. I 100% agree uh, because Barack Obama was the candidate. Well, not the candidate. He was the president of this quote unquote middle ground. And uh, Joe Biden wants to run as this middle ground candidate, as does this John Hickenlooper and John Delaney, both of which, I mean, they're, they're going to drop out within within days. I wouldn't be surprised. But that's that's my issue and why I don't buy this like, oh, Bernie is a radical. He's not a radical. He just actually fucking stands for something. You don't affect change by starting from a, from a position of compromise, which is which is how Barack Obama uh, legislated his entire presidency. And it got a couple things done. It gave us a Republican health care plan that the Republicans wouldn't support because they made it their job to stand in his way no matter what. Even when he proposed a Republican health care plan designed by the Heritage Foundation, even when he attempted to nominate Merrick Garland, who is a middle-of-the-road leaning, you know, pseudo-right, uh, you know, Supreme Court justice candidate, and they said, fuck no. So that's what happens when you take the middle ground against right-wingers who will not be reasoned with. So Bernie is coming out and taking a strong stance on all of these positions. Whether he's able to get those things done is going to be up to us, up to you, the listener, up to me, up to your neighbors, up to your friends to put that pressure from the left because there sure as fuck isn't going to be lobbyists in Congress pushing for Medicare for all. We got to be in the streets. We got to be out trying to get legislation passed ourselves on the state level and putting pressure everywhere that we possibly can because if Bernie becomes president that doesn't just mean we're going to get all this stuff he's going to face a lot of opposition and we need to drown that opposition out because the people have been fucked over long enough by the corporations and their mouthpieces in the media and their mouthpieces in these lobbying firms and their mouthpieces in Congress, in the White House. The corporations have taken over this government and it's time for us to take it back. And a middle ground will not get us what we need. So Netflix just released a new um, bio pick uh true crime uh whatever you want to call it about the central park five it's called when they see us uh, i just watched the first episode so i'm uh, i'm kind of reeling mentally it's uh it's a lot to take in um i honestly i don't i don't know a lot about the story other than what i just watched and some of the things that came out during the 2016 election because donald trump played such a public role in smearing these five children um it's heavy it's a it's a heavy uh it's a heavy drama i don't i don't really know where to start because i'm just uh, I'm, I'm upset i finished it about an hour and a half ago 
and uh, it's uh, I don't know if I want to watch the rest. There's only four episodes, but it's it's intense, and um, it's you know it, it in some ways it reminded me of uh, Making a Murderer in terms of the fact that the police basically had nothing, and instead of taking that nothing and trying to find the actual guilty person, they said it's going to be easier for us to just get a co- coerce uh statements from these children these 13 14 uh 15 16 year old kids um it's going to be easier for us to to get that you know scare them you know beat them um scare their parents scare them get them to sign these basically sign a waiver of uh of their right to an attorney, uh, which is fucked up. And uh, to be clear, you know, the, the police that did this, these are not bad apples. These are police doing it the way that they are trained to do it. I'm sure that there were some, uh, there's some voices of conscience pushing back at the time, but they were not prevalent enough to do anything. It's crazy because this is not, this is not an isolated situation. This happens across the country. It happens today. It happens all the goddamn time. Um, and I think to a lot of people who have not ever been targeted or antagonized by the police think that this is uh this is this is a work of fiction this is not this doesn't happen you know guilty people get what's coming to them and innocent people uh get what's coming to them which is they get freed and that's not the case uh this particular thing is the case in point you know it's uh kids who were intimidated into admitting they murdered or raped and murdered this woman. And then years later, a serial rapist uh, admitted to it. He admitted to this specific case, and his DNA was found at the crime scene. So they were fully exonerated, but they still spent, most of them spent about seven years in jail. One of the guys spent almost 14 years in jail. They're all out now, um, and they got a huge settlement from this the the state of New York or the city of New York. I'm not sure which one, probably the city. Um, unfortunately, the prosecutors and the police that perpetuated this, uh, probably never, they didn't lose their jobs. Uh, the one, I, I think she's a prosecutor. Yeah. Linda Fairstein, the prosecutor, the blonde prosecutor, if you watch it. Um, not only did she never face any consequences for pushing this bullshit, but she is, uh, she's like an award-winning journal, uh, not journalist, an award-winning author. She's made millions of dollars off of these like, uh, fictionalized true crime novels based on her life, uh, which I have to assume means that some of those stories are about people that she unjust put in jail for life um and she's she's doing she's doing great she's doing well um and when and when these when these men were exonerated years after the fact she she stuck to her guns she said no that no i i still believe that they're guilty because i guess the human mind can only do so many backflips before you feel such a large amount of guilt that you just kill yourself because you are a horrific human being there's a lot of people who shouldn't kill themselves that do it so like you know take one for the team maybe even maybe even out those stats a little bit because because to do such a horrific thing to to five boys to five kids to ruin their lives so that you don't look like you're incompetent in your job and they're in actually uh revealing how incompetent you actually are um i mean jesus christ it's it's unbelievable um it's it's uh it's disheartening the entire time i'm watching it i j- i just want to i want to do something and i don't know what 
I can do because the system is set up in such a way that there's not much you can do about it. Um, you know, I've been I've been targeted by the police before. I was pulled over. Uh, I, I was pulled over. They said because I didn't uh, turn my put my turn signal on uh, early enough. Um, and then I found out later in the interaction that they uh, they pulled me over because they saw me coming out of a place that had reported some burglaries. <laughs> and I know that's not true because I know the owners of said place. Um, so they they just targeted me because they wanted to uh, they they were bored. They're bored suburban cops and they wanted to harass me. They wanted to fuck with me. And uh, fortunately, I was of the correct mind and I knew not to uh, not to uh, try, you know, not try to answer any of their leading questions in the way that they're trying to coerce me into answering them. And that's what really, I mean, it was a, it was a trigger a little bit because I, uh, I, I'm watching this, this Netflix show and uh, to be clear, I'm not comparing my situation to their situation whatsoever, but I can uh, empathize or sympathize. I, I forget which one. I can empathize. I think empathize. Um, I can empathize with the situation because they didn't do anything wrong and the cops are trying to make them say they did something wrong and they successfully do that. And that's why they went to jail because the cops coerced them without a lawyer present, without their parents present, which most was some of them legally should have had their parents present. I guess if you're over 16, you don't have to. I think that's fucked up too. But um, they, they didn't know better. They're kids. They're 16. 16 is not old enough to be able to waive your right to an attorney. That, um, But beside, beside the point, the cops got them to admit to a crime they did not commit. And that's what the cops did to me when they pulled me over. They asked me if I was on narcotics, if I had anything on me. I said, even you didn't even smoke like a little bit of weed? No, no, no. I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, but they wanted me to say that I was, that I did. They said, it's okay. It's okay if you did. It's not a big deal. And uh, that was that was a real wake-up call to me when that happened. That happened, uh, I think it was like five years ago. And every time I'm uh, in Montgomery, Ohio, which is often because the comedy club that I work at is there, I'm uh, I'm terrified I'm going to get pulled over and harassed by the cops again. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, you know, they had me get out of the car. They searched my car. They had me blow into a breathalyzer. Um, uh, and they sent me along my way because, uh, I'm white, I don't have a record and I'm privileged and I'm lucky because as, as, as you'll see, if you watch, if you watch the Netflix show, the fact that they were, uh, they were black and they, they wanted to get that guilty verdict. They kept pushing, even though they said, no, I didn't do that. They kept pushing. I said, yes, you did. Tell me who did it. Tell me what, tell me what happened. And it's, uh, it was, it's terrifying, man, because these, these are, these are people who are systematically allowed to do that shit. They get away with that shit every single day and they get on a power trip because of that fact because at the end of the day that is the job of the police to feed you to the prison industrial complex to lie to you to coerce you into admitting you committed a crime so they can feed you into the private prison military industrial complex a multi-billion dollar industry that we fill with low-income people because rich people sure as fuck ain't going to prison and if they are it's for six months and then they get to hang out in their house like martha stewart or the people who crashed the goddamn economy people at enron they're not spending their life in prison and what they did is worse than a lot of crimes people spend their entire lives in jail for and that gets to the heart of the problem it gets to why i don't like to play this republican versus democrat bullshit facade of how to make the country better because all of us have a common enemy and it is the unlimited corruption of money in the capitalist system. Our prisons get filled with people because there is a monetary incentive for our prisons to be full because they are private organizations that take our tax dollars, that take people in prisons money, and then it turns around 
and puts them into prison labor roles that is legalized slavery, paying them like 50 cents an hour to to put out wildfires in California and a whole slew of other things. And we just accept that. And that is a flaw in the capitalist system. And that's why I don't buy this this Republican versus Democrat bullshit and that and why I try as hard as I can not to focus on that stuff. Sometimes with certain specific topics or uh, things, you do have to focus on that because there's a clear difference between the the pure evil of the Republican Party and the, the veiled evil of the Democratic Party. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're listening to this podcast, if you, if you are not a multi-billionaire or at least a multi-multi-tens or hundreds of millions millionaire, we all have a common enemy. And it is the corporate class. It is the, the, the ultra-rich class. They are not your friend. They are not going to help you. They're going to they're gonna give you just enough so that you don't want to resist them and maybe even make them think that you're one of them. But guess what? You aren't and you never will be. So it's time for us to start rising up against these people because they've given us the short end of the stick for too fucking long. And if you're lucky enough to not get, <laughs> get put away for your entire life because you were born into a low-income neighborhood and you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, you know, you're lucky. You're lucky to, to not have had that happen. Because the system is set up in such a way that they want that to happen because it's insanely profitable for them. I think I've repeated myself over and over, but I think it's important and I'm very smart. So listen to what I have to say. Let me play a clip of President Donald J. Trump back in 1989 talking about these five boys, children who did not commit a crime, who were coerced into admitting they committed a crime because they were told by the police that they would be exonerated or they'd get off easier if they just admitted to it, even though they didn't do it, which is something cops do all the time. I know I know, I'm talking about another Netflix series, but it ha- that's, that's exactly what happened to that high school kid. What was it? Brendan Dassey, the WrestleMania kid in Making a Murderer. They just kept hammering him until he said, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that happened. Yeah, sure. It's like they just want to, they lock him in a room for hours and hours and hours on end. They make them think they're crazy. They, they're they not allowed to eat for hours. And then they're told, you know what? If you just tell us what we want to hear, you can go. And then they admit to it because they know that's what they want to hear. And then they put, put them in fucking jail and they send them to trial. And then they spend a good portion of their life in prison. So here's Donald Trump talking about five innocent boys who did not commit a crime back in 1989. You better believe that I hate the people that took this girl and raped her brutally. You better believe it. And it's more than anger, it's hatred. And I want society to hate them. I made the mistake of turning on uh, conservative talk radio this week for a minute because I uh, I vowed to myself that I would start consuming some of that stuff so I so I could better understand the point of view that some of the more you know uh, Republican or right-leaning people are like what they're consuming so that I can better address it from my standpoint it took about 30 seconds before I started raging <laughs> I got so mad uh, which I know I it, it made it made me feel stupid for how mad I got because it's designed for that it's mindless uh clear Click, clickbait of of the airwaves to try to get primarily uh you know uh, white working class people upset at shit that doesn't matter and to play up this idea that the most discriminated against class is white men and why are they discriminated against the most because people who are actually discriminated against have the gall to point it out every once in a while i don't have audio from it because uh, i don't know if they release the audio and frankly i don't want to echo it if i am able to find it maybe i'll plug it in here but i i just 
I don't know if I can listen to it again. The guy's name is Bill Cunningham. Uh, if you live in Cincinnati, which everyone who listens to this does, as far as I know, he's a shock jock. He's like a, he's like a shitty low rent Sean Hannity. If you don't think Sean Hannity is shitty and low rent enough, he goes on his show a lot, or he he did at one point. He's a voice of sports radio in Cincinnati, 700 WLW. I've heard this guy's voice since I was born, and he's got a grating voice. He calls himself a great American. He's the great American, Willie Cunningham, and he's he's insufferable, mainly because, so th- this, this segment that uh, I, I listened to for about five minutes, he had a woman on. They were bitching, moaning, and complaining about this false idea of toxic masculinity and (laughs) their argument for why toxic masculinity doesn't exist is because there are toxic women there are toxic non-white people there are just some people are just toxic so the idea that toxic masculinity exists is bullshit because other people are toxic and they they hope that their listeners and i would imagine a majority of them do hear this and say, hey, that's right. That's bullshit. A lot of people are toxic. Well, yeah, no shit a lot of people are toxic. What I, what I hate the most about this Bill Cunningham guy is he he intentionally misunderstands things to make himself seem like he's this truth teller, that he's this man of the people, that he is, uh, you know, he's cutting through the bullshit of the liberal media uh, as if the as if a liberal media even exists. Every media outlet is owned by a wealthy oligarch who is a right winger. NBC is owned by a Republican. So uh, I've, I've talked about this before. There's no such thing as the liberal media. Um, but uh, if, if he were to admit that or if someone were to uh, bring that up on his show, his show wouldn't exist because that's basically the gist of his existence is the liberal media is the, the root of all problems. <laughs> And it's these, uh, it's this snowflake culture. When, when, when this entire segment, he was being a fucking snowflake. He's like, why is it that it's that it's men that are always the the idiots on the on the commercials, but then we're the ones who are toxic. And this this it honestly might have been an old clip because they they brought up Gillette, but actually it probably wasn't. I don't think they play reruns. He comes in there every day and spouts off his uh his ignorant bullshit, and uh, you know people buy the, the tens of thousands, uh, lap it up. And 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 they make that uh, they make that their their stance on the issues. He starts railing against Gillette about how they're uh, how they're just trying to latch on to this uh, this this liberal social movement to to make some extra money, thereby proving that he's right that they don't actually care about toxic masculinity. And I would say to that point, he's probably right. You know, P- Procter and Gamble doesn't give a shit about toxic masculinity, just the way that Procter and Gamble. Doesn't give a shit about gay pride. They're going to be a huge presence at the pride parade in a couple weeks. They just know that it is more profitable for them to be allies now than it is for them to discriminate. So to that point, I will I will give I will give Bill Cunningham that point. But his larger point was that toxic masculinity doesn't exist. People don't get raped by men, and there's not this overwhelming like uh, man up, stop being such a sissy attitude. That is that is put on on boys and perpetuated against women in our society. Um, every everything that basically makes him uncomfortable, that calls out something that makes him uncomfortable, is inherently bad or bullshit. That's the entire gist of his political viewpoint. It's like if someone calls out my bullshit, that means they're actually full of shit. Because actually, me, the white man, is the victim. You know, no one's ever sticking up for the white man. To which I say, pick up 
a fucking history book. These are the same people who are like, why should why should we have reparations? I didn't own slaves. They weren't these the people who are alive now weren't slaves. Why should we? It's such it's such just an intentional misunderstanding of a situation to drum up hatred for a group that has no power over anything. It's castigating blame on people with no power and no money, much like Jimmy Dore often says, and distracting people from getting outraged at the real issue, which is the systematic injustices placed upon us by this rigged capitalist system. But you're not going to hear that on Bill Cunningham. Oh, here's here's the other thing that really uh, you know sent me off was he started complaining about how actually it's white men who are most often discriminated against in the mainstream media. Motherfucker, you work for iHeartRadio, Clear Channel, one of the biggest media conglomerates in the world. You are the mainstream media. So that's the shit that I can't stand either, is these people on Fox News, these people on any of these multimedia conglomerates, these international behemoths, the, and, then they, and then they hire these mouthpieces to to make it seem like they're they're the working class voice. They're they're the reasonable voice. They're the real they're the real American voice. But it's like motherfucker, you are the mainstream media, and it's this false victimization that is just infuriating. And and then they turn around and act like oh you know the blacks are always just trying to act like they're they're the victim. It's like. Are you kidding me? They accuse the other of doing something and playing the victim. Meanwhile, they're like, but actually, we're the real victim here, right? And it perpetuates this hatred. And it's infuriating that people listen to this guy. And he's not alone. There are a ton of people like him. And I tend to forget about them because I don't seek out that uh, that 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 bullshit. I guess I have to start doing it more because uh, a lot of people listen to that. But yeah, I, I just need to, I need to figure out a better way to to speak to to that to that uh, to that point of view because it's so false and it's so easily it's so easily torn apart when you once you start questioning it. But it's um it's it's a fake victimization for 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 the poor white man. Oh, we are so we are so just discriminated against. You know. I don't have white privilege. If you think you don't have white privilege, that's, that's the most white privilege shit you can say. To, to be so privileged that you're not even aware of it is wild. But I want to play another clip of Donald Trump from 1989 around the Central Park Five, and it kind of highlights this, victim, this white victimization uh, falsehood. I just want to say the beginning of this video, it has, a, it has a thing. It says, on September 5th, 1989, NBC News aired a program exploring the subject of race in the United States. Appearing on that show, Donald Trump said this. A well-educated black has a tremendous advantage over a well-educated white in terms of the job market. And I think sometimes a black may think that they don't really have the advantage or this or that. But in actuality, today, currently... It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great, I've said on occasion, even about myself, if I were starting off today, I would love to be a well-educated black because I really believe they do have an actual advantage today. Uh, for the record, in 1989, uh, speaking that way about black people, still not okay. A well-educated black. Uh, but I mean, this is the guy at his rallies. He's like, I love my African-American. Look at my African-American over here. He's uh he's the same guy, folks. 
He's the same guy today that he was then, if not worse. But the point I want to make there, uh, I mean, one, what a ridiculous notion that he wishes that he was a well-educated black motherfucker. You are the product of wealth and privilege. If you were an, a well-educated black person, you would have uh, had to work hard for something. You would have had to uh, overcome a lot of obstacles to get to a position to be there. Uh, whereas you've overcome no obstacles your entire existence. You were born with a silver spoon up your ass. You were gifted millions of dollars. You've bankrupted five, six companies. And despite your abject failure, you are the president of the United States. That might be the biggest accomplishment of his life is becoming maybe the only accomplishment of his life. That and perhaps, you know, his his fame that he that he garnered from The Apprentice, um, all of which he only got because he started out from such a such a place of privilege. But uh, th that that also that also echoes like, ha have you guys seen American History X? Remember that uh, that really fucked up dinner table scene with <laughs> With uh, with Mr. Matthews from Boy Meets World, I don't know the actor's name, but that was a mind fuck when I saw that movie. I was like, "Why is Mr. Matthews saying all this racist stuff?" But basically about how black people have it so easy because of affirmative action. It's BS. You know, white people work just as hard as as them. Why why should they get an advantage? It's that's the exact same argument that Trump makes. Is the argument that the racist dad in American History X makes, and that's supposed to be like a a caricature. I don't know if it's supposed to be a caricature, but it's like that's an argument that is made by racist white people who think that they're the victim because there are policies put in place to level the playing field a little bit because uh, racially there are serious disadvantages that people have just for being born in the wrong neighborhood, for being born to the wrong class. So the fact that there, that there are these policies or movements that are fighting back against that inequality, their response is not to say, hey, yeah, maybe we should take a look at the way that our system is set up to, to inherently disadvantage people of a certain race or class instead of accept, you know, uh, looking and analyzing it saying, you know what, my life's pretty hard and I'm white, so this is bullshit. This is fucking bullshit. Because I've worked hard, let me say this. When someone talks about white privilege, when someone talks about toxic masculinity, a lot of people like Bill Cunningham, like Donald Trump, like people who are big fans of them, they think that that's an attack against them personally. And they're saying, well, I don't, I don't exhibit toxic masculinity. I don't exhibit white privilege. Well, if you don't think that that refers to you, then it doesn't. So don't be defensive. Analyze how maybe those things that they've said apply to your life. If they apply to your life, perhaps fix them. If they don't apply to your life, then great job. You're one of the good ones. There are good ones. We don't have to talk about them. I'm white. I'm male. I sometimes exhibit toxic masculinity, and I try to stop doing that. I don't do it on purpose, and when I catch myself, I dial it back. I know that I have a lot of white privilege, and I try to use it, take advantage of it, and try to utilize that privilege to help lift others up. I don't go on the radio to complain about how people have the gall to complain about the situation that they're in, that they're victimizing themselves. And then, you know, meanwhile, they're on the radio literally complaining about how much of a victim they are. That's the episode. Thank you for listening. Obviously, very uh, Medicare for all heavy, healthcare heavy. That's what we're going to call the episode. The one about healthcare. Do you guys watch Friends? Have you seen it before? Could you be bigger fans of Friends? I could. I haven't. I've, I've seen maybe a handful of episodes, but it's good, guys. And they're talking about bringing it back. Because why not? Let's bring it all back. Let's, 
let's never create anything new for the rest of our existence. So thank you for listening. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you're not already, at Shrek John, Shrek like the movie, John like the Bible or the toilet, whichever one really speaks to you. Uh, Happy Pride. I'm going to try to put out another episode before I go on vacation for a week. I could have been on vacation this past week. You wouldn't know. There's no consistency to when I'm posting these goddamn things. But you know what? I appreciate you sticking with me through the thick and the thin. I don't have any comedy dates coming up uh, at the moment. Check out cincystandup.com if you want to check out shows all around the, the greater Cincinnati area. I'm working on some new stuff at the open mic, so check me out. If you got something you want me to talk about, message me. Uh, can't promise I'll cover it because I don't even cover the shit that I want to cover, you know? I start talking bullshit and I realize it's solid gold and it's got to go out there to my 28 listeners. So thank you for being one of 28. It's actually closer to 38, but you know what? I need to be humble and assume that those are bots from Russia, uh, our biggest enemy, you know. But anyways, take care of one another. Namaste.